You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. Judges chapter 3, and our text is just going to be one verse, and we're going to look at one of the judges. Now, if you don't know what a judge was in Israel, though, it wasn't like our judges now. Uh, a judge then was somebody who delivered Israel from their enemies, and uh, uh, maybe had some uh, leadership position there over the people, but the main thing they did is God raised them up to, uh, to help lead and fight against their enemies after they had sinned and God sent their enemies to overtake them and then they'd repent and God would answer their prayer, of course, being the merciful God that he is, and he'd send judges to deliver them from their enemies. One of my favorite books in all of the Bible is the book of Judges, some fun, interesting stories. Not just interesting, inspired of the Holy Spirit, it is Scripture. Here's one that's uh, very easy to read. You're fixing to read everything that's known about this judge in about a second or two. Look, if you would, at verse 31. Now, after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, and he struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. There you go. That's it. You say, Brother Arnold, how are you, what are you going to preach on that? Well, you're going to see. It's a great message. Of all the judges, uh, you're going to look at it. Now, I, when I was studying this, when I uh, went through the judges, and I was looking for a good title for this sermon, and so I looked up on sermonaudio.com, and I was just looking for titles, but I would end up listening or reading the messages. And, and the first one I came across, looking for a title, it said, Three Steps to Success. And I said, that is just too Joel Osteenish for me. So I rejected that one. And then I read one, It's Not Much, But It's All I've Got. I read his message, and I believed him. Then I read one, It's Not Much, But You Can Have It. I kind of liked that one. That was a good one. And then I read one that said, El Padre Capesa de Hogan. I didn't think that that would be helpful since no one in our congregation speaks that much Spanish. So I chose my own. I love the old song, Little as Much When God is in It. Deborah and Barak, these are judges. Barak was the judge, and uh, he kind of lacked a little courage, so God sent a woman <laughs> to help him. Amen. Barak's story is told in two chapters consisting of 51 verses. Gideon's great story required 100 verses to tell. Samson's story, the, the great story of Samson, is told in 96 verses. But Shemgar's mighty story is packaged in one small verses, basically three lines. A paragraph. A blurb, if you would, no more than a headline, but God saw it so important enough to put Shemgar in the holy, infallible, inerrant word of God, and here we are receiving 
from this story. Number one, this story shows us that little is known about him, but what is known gives us great inspiration. I mean, now folks, I want to tell you there's not one verse in this Bible, not one phrase that's a mistake, that's an error. If God put it here, we need to know about it. Amen? And this verse, this verse does give us great courage, and we're going to look at this and much inspiration. First of all, I want you to know that we know that his lineage was probably not God-believing. Some have suggested that since his name was related, to, or it says son of Anath, that was, his, that was who Shamgar's dad was, the son of Anath. Uh, some suggest that since his name is related to a Canaanite goddess, Shamgar overcame a liquid, liquid, a wicked lineage. Well, I, I, we don't know that. It's speculation, but I want to tell you the times were not good. There was a lot of uh, uh, idol worship and idolatry at that time, and since his name was related to it, well, why in the world was it? So maybe he overcame a lineage and a family that was steeped in idolatry. And I hear a lot of people, and I even said it to myself, that I cannot be used of God. I'm not smart enough. I'm not from the right uh, uh, family. I, I, I don't have the right lineage. I, don't, I have uh, drawbacks. I don't look the part. I don't sound the part. I don't, I don't know whatever it is, but there's a lot of people that don't serve God because they don't think that they're capable or they don't believe that they're worthy. Let me tell you, so I'll just tell you this right now. You're not worthy. You're not worthy to dust the dust off the tables in this church. This is the, this, we call it the house of God. It's the house of the church. But this is a building dedicated to the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you work in this place among these people, it is the highest privilege in this country. Higher than president, higher than governor, mayor, or whatever. You are serving and living for the God of eternity, the omnipotent, omnipresent, omnipotent God who spoke this world into existence in six days. You say, you ever believe it was 66 literal days? I believe it could have been six literal seconds if that's what he had wanted. Listen, remember, he calls himself Almighty God. And this is the God you serve. And if God has given you, oh, here we go, talents, if God has given you abilities, if God has given you callings, he didn't do it for no reason. You ought to be using it, using it everywhere you can for his glory, but especially in the church, right? Shemgar, we don't know much about him, but God called him, he did what God called him to do. Little is known about him, but what we do know about him is great inspiration. But then I want you to know the land that he was in, the land, the times, the people he was around. Turn over, if you would, one chapter to Judges chapter 5. Judges chapter 5. And we, we find out a little bit more about, not necessarily about him, but about the, 
the times he lived in because Deborah wrote a song and sang it after God used her and Barak. Uh, so uh, look at this. It says, In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath. Oh, she, she mentions him again. And in the days of Jael, the paths had ceased. So travelers went by roundabout paths. Now I'm using the LSB and that's the New American Standard there. And what that means is that people didn't use the roads, the regular roads, because uh, Philistine marauders were on there to kill them or steal from them or whatever. So they would travel through the woods or travel a different way where they wouldn't get caught in the paths. The peasantry ceased. The peasantry ceased. They ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose a mother in Israel. What does she mean by that? The peasantry ceased. In your Bible, it may say the villages ceased. What it means is if you weren't in a walled city, you're in trouble. Haven't y'all seen uh, 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 The Lord of the Rings? I mean, you know, the orcs and stuff, they just went through the villages destroying them, but it was only those cities that had walled cities that kept them safe. Well, it's an illustration, but that's basically what he's saying is the villages were unprotected from the Philistines, and they'd come in, and they'd rob, pillage, and kill, and they would take all weapons, whatever weapons, swords or whatever they had, away from their enemies and leave them to fend for themselves. Travel was treacherous because of crime. Homesteading was treacherous because of invasions. Village life, peasantry, it was dangerous to live in the open villages. Defending yourself had, uh, was hard because of the lack of weapons. He lived in a bad time. He came from a bad lineage and he lived in a bad land. But number two, main point, we see his ministry lasted a little time, but God saw to it that his story lasted much longer. According to Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, in book 5, chapter 4, verse 3 of his book, he said that Shemgar died in his first year of service, that he didn't even have a ministry of judging Israel that lasted a whole year. Yet here we are, 3,200 years later, receiving encouragement from this strong man. Number three, we're moving on quickly, aren't we? Number three, his weapon was little, but his victory was much. Now, first of all, I want you to see what this man had. I mean, look at this, what this man had. How many of y'all... Uh, come on, admit it. Don't don't be don't be pious. You know how many of y'all watch MMA fighting? Anybody watch that or boxing? You watch boxing. Me and two girls. <laughs> oh, back here. Oh, Russell, Russell. <laughs> All right, the rest of you line. You watch it sometimes. You see it sometimes. Well, you know, there's uh, you know, there's an art style. I used to love boxing, and, and, and anyway, but you have a guy. I mean, he will last forever. He will win fights over fights after fight after fight. But one day, and it's maybe seven or ten, or I don't know who the longest 
running uh, uh, champion is in, in fighting, boxing or whatever, but I'll guarantee you he's going to lose. And you know what he loses to? One other man. All right? Now, there's some of them that they will win two or three, lose one, maybe two, win a few, lose a few. But look what it says, that he had an ox goad. What is an ox goad? It's a stick. It was a rod about eight foot long. It had a sharp end on one end to prod animals along and a flat metal blade on the other end to clean the plows. And the Philistines would disarm their conquered. So this is probably all that Shamgard had. But I want to tell you, with God's help, it's all that he needed. With the, with the Spirit, it's all that he needed. That's all he had was a stick, an eight-foot-long rod, if you would. But look at what he did. The Bible says that he killed 600 Philistines. Now, that's where I was getting with that MMA message. I get a little ahead of myself, but look at these guys. I mean, strong guys, big guys, warriors, and they only can beat one at a time, you know? I've watched the other day... <laughs> Y'all going to think it's so odd of me, but, uh, uh, you know, if you can't do it, you like watching it, you know. But over in Europe somewhere, I can't remember where it was. It was I think it's probably Irish or Scottish. It sounds like something over there. They get all this group of men on one side, and some are dressed all in black or red or whatever. The other group is dressed all in white. And then all of a sudden, somebody blows a whistle, and these 25, 30 men come rushing, and they fight until a certain point. And the winner is whoever has the most men still standing. But the thing about it is there's not one person out there knocking everybody out. And after a while, you know when they quit and when they really quit is when they all get tired of swinging. I mean, by the end of it, it's just like, you know, they get tired of swinging. I know you're hating this. You're thinking bad of me. But anyway, but this guy killed 600 men like Samson killed a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey, which I always like to add the, the, this part to it. Uh, he can use you, just think of what he can do with the rest of it, okay? <laughs> you know? But Shamgar here, he uh, killed 600. That doesn't say he did it all at one time, but does that matter? That's a, that's a pretty good average there, 600 men. And he did it within a year, we know that. I think it's probably talking about one battle where he went out and pushed back on the Philistines. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how big your army is really, I guess unless it's just really massive, and somebody comes in and slaughters 600 of your men without touching the guy, you're going to back up a little. And Shemgard had a stick. They had swords. They had uh, shields. They had chariots. They had weapons of war of their time. He had a stick and slew a whole army of 600 men. And these weren't wimpy men. These weren't Ron Owen men. These were mighty men. These were strong men of war who had scars of battles. And he slew them like they were and went through them like they were butter. Why? How? Because of the presence of God. Because of the touch of the Almighty God. Psychology. Science, social reconstruction are trying to make the Bible seem little and insignificant, but the Bible is the words of an infinite God, and they will prevail, and obedience to this book works. And disobedience to it 
has the opposite effect. If you obey God, listen, times might look bad. Things may look wrong. Things may doesn't seem like God hears or God's there, but I'm telling you that all things, good and bad, work together for those that are good, those that uh, to, to our good who are called according to his purpose. And we can trust in this book. Stay in this book. Learn this book. Live this book. Last eve I passed beside the blacksmith's door and I heard the anvil ring the vesper chime and looking in upon the floor I saw old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, asked I, to wear these hammers so? Just one, he said, and then with twinkling eye the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. So thought I, the anvil of God's word. For ages skeptics blows have beat upon, but through the falling blows was heard. The anvil is unharmed, but the hammers are gone. This book will be here when you die. This book will be here when your grandchildren die. This book will be here when the Antichrist sets up a kingdom. This book will be here when Jesus comes back. This book will be here when we've been in eternity forever and ever and ever. The flower fa- the grass withereth and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So you better base your life on it, folks. You better love it. Lastly, his earthly help was little, but his heavenly help was much. And that's what made the difference. Brother Ron, I don't know how to witness. Open your mouth. Let the Holy Spirit use you. It would be amazing what you do. You know the Bible. What are you doing here Sunday after Sunday while I'm preaching? Why aren't you listening? You can tell somebody about Jesus. Matter of fact, you're backslid if you don't. You are. It is not a suggestion. It's not a request. It's a command that you and I be witnesses. I want to tell you something. You don't have 6,800 converts. You don't start 36 churches in the Middle East if you don't have people preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Am I right, brother? And this church will not grow. I told you when I first came here 13 years ago, it's very easy to grow a church. Obey God. If you as congregants, not the preacher, that's the problem. Everybody's waiting for the preacher to do it. I want to tell you something else. Uh, Brother Jonathan's starting here, and we talked a lot about discipling the kids. It's not his job to disciple your kids. It's your job. And he's here to assist. He's here to help us and to come along beside us. But I want to tell you, if your kids turn out wrong, it's not because of youth pastors. It's because of you. You're responsible to teach your kids. You're responsible to raise them children and to show them how they ought to act and live and walk. Oh, I tell you what, if you're one that says it, well, you just listen to me and learn. Well, I let my kids make their own decisions about church and Jesus. Is that why their teeth are rotted out? You didn't tell them to brush their teeth or did you make them brush their teeth? Is that why they smell like goats? You didn't make them bathe? Is that why they're malnutrition? You didn't make them eat? And those are not the important things. Why in the world would you skip the important things? They don't like to go to church. Make them! They don't like to read their Bibles. Make them! 
They don't like to pray. Make them. You're the parents. I tell parents a lot of time, I just can't get my kid to obey. You outweigh them by four times. What's wrong with you? I just had to look at one of my kids and they said, okay, daddy. Why? Because they knew I meant what I said. And God means what he says. And if we obey, we don't have to worry about church growth. We don't have to look at numbers. If we be obedient and witness and get them here and we disciple them, yes, and teach them the word of God and get them in the fellowship of Christians, this church, and we've done it for 13 years, folks. I don't know if you remember, we got a little low crowd here, but when I first came here, we ran about 60 to 70 people. And now, on any given Sunday, we could have as many as 140. Last Sunday, I guarantee you, I don't know how many, but we this place was full. And that's not just because of Ron Owen or good music or what. No, it's because of people who obey. Now, I know, I appreciate you invite people to church all the time. Wonderful. Keep it up. But go a step further and tell them about Jesus. You know, it's amazing how if you get somebody regenerated, they have a desire to come with you to church. <laughs> they will. Anyway. There's an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Now, somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. So Shemgar, a, Gar, a seeming nobody, was the somebody that did what anybody among everybody could have done. Little bitty David had to come, uh, teenage David come, mighty men of valor, even Saul who stood head and shoulders above Israel, which meant that he was about the size, maybe a little smaller than Goliath. And they were all hiding in their tents. And David heard this uncircumcised Philistine cursing their God. And they said, what? he said, what's going on? They got on to him. And he said, is there not a cause? Is nobody going to do something about this? So he started pulling out his slingshot and going to the brook. And getting... He said, listen, and, and I guarantee you, David didn't know if he was going to live. I, 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 I bet it was pretty intimidating walking up to a guy that was three times your size. But David didn't care. I guarantee you in his heart he said, I will either win or die. But he is not going to stand there and curse my God while I'm standing there. There is a lad here, Jesus, or the disciple said, who has five barley loaves and two small fish. And then they said this really dumb thing. But what are they among so many? And Jesus showed them. With these sardines, that's basically what they were, and crackers, that's what it was. Jesus fed 20,000 people at least. It said 5,000 men, and where there's men, there's women, and there's children. We know there were children there because this little lad had his lunch. And he fed them all, and when they were finished with those multiplying loaves, they had, and what the, the word is in the Greek is sarcophagi, sarcophagus. Enough food to fill a casket, a large pot. God can take nothing and make something out of it. He can do it. And he can use you. 
you can do something for Jesus' sake. Some of you have abilities, you have talents, you have giftings and callings on your life that God has called you to, and you're hiding them there in your blessed assurance pew. And you're being disobedient to God. He calls you to it. If you can teach Sunday school, you ought to be teaching. If you you say, I can speak, but I don't know how to study, we'll, we'll train you, we'll help you. If you have a voice to sing, you ought to be singing. If you have a, a gift of helping, help. Usually you don't have to tell them people to do it. I know what it is. A lot of people don't like to get up in front of folks and maybe pray or read the Bible or whatever. I understand that. I Really, I do. I do. Somebody asks you, you get nervous when you preach? Every time. Every time I walk up on the stage. But that's not the point. i got to obey. Do you think David wanted to go out there and fight that 10-foot dude? Well, because of his conviction, he did. I want you to remember this. If you think you're too small and too insignificant, that the, that the mighty oak is just an acorn that stood its ground. One little unshed raindrop may think itself too small, yet somewhere a thirsting flower awaits its gentle fall. One little, one, one, uh, one little word unspoken may seem too small to say, but somewhere for that one little word a heart may be waiting today. We talked in our Sunday school class about doing good. What is it to do good? To him that doeth good and doeth it not, the Bible says it's sin. Helping, loving, caring. Matthew Henry said, God can make those eminently serviceable to his glory and to his church, church's good, whose extraction, education, and employment are very mean and obscure. He, has, uh, he that has the residue of the Spirit, I love that, he who has the residue of the Spirit could, when he pleases, make plowmen, judges, and generals, and fishermen, apostles. John Wesley also said, It is no matter how weak the weapon, if it is God that directs and strengthens the arm. I hear people say of other folks, usually a talented singer or a dynamic preacher, boy, they're sure anointed. Y'all have heard me say this before. And that man is anointed. That woman's anointed. You hear her sing? But you know, I have a problem. Y'all know what my problem is. You know what I'm fixing to say. Why don't we ever say that about the nursery workers? I want my nursery workers to be anointed. It's not just the flashy singers and players and, and that makes the church. Matter of fact, we don't have to have singers. We don't have to have instruments to worship God. But I'll guarantee you we need someone to love the children. We need someone to sweep the floors. We need someone to put together a bulletin. We need someone to help and decide directions for the church. We need those things that nobody sees. We need prayer warriors that nobody knows about. They're at home in their closet praying for me, praying for this church. I want to tell you something. They're more anointed than a singer. Now, let me tell you, everybody's anointed. All that word means anointed means baptized with the Spirit, and everybody saved is baptized with the Spirit. What they mean is they're talented. And we appreciate good singers, don't we? Hallelujah. It, it, it's a blessing to hear someone that has a melodic voice singing, like Miss Phyllis this morning. But I want to tell you something. God would be just as pleased with somebody got up here and never sang one of the keys right, but yet worshiped and lifted up the name of Jesus. 
Brother Raymond was a wonderful, beautiful tenor singer years ago when I first got here. He sang good. But in the last few years, he would get up and sing. And he couldn't hear it thunder, and most of the notes that he hit were off. But I want to tell you something. I wouldn't have skipped his special to save my life. There's more worship in his wrong notes than a lot of our worship with our pristine on-tune singing. You can be used of God if you'll be obedient. The only difference between you, me, and Billy Graham is the unmerited, gracious choice of God Almighty. That's right. You were chosen to do what you're doing and being where you are. So don't blaspheme by being disappointed. Don't be blasphemous by being disappointed. Because God in His grace has you exactly where He wants you to be. You may not like it. It may maybe you're looking for steps, maybe you're looking for higher planes or something. I want to tell you, when I came to Antioch East Baptist Church, one of the first things they talked about, they wanted somebody that's going to stay. And of course, like every preacher, I mean, everybody's just going to say, well, I'm going to stay until the Lord moves me. But I told them, I said, I plan to be here, of course, till God's finished, but I'd like for this to be the place I retire. And I'm in it. And so far, God's done good. He's let me stay here 13 years. I'm glad of that. It's hard to do a ministry if you don't stay. But I want to tell you what I've seen. I'm not saying all of them. I don't know the hearts of men. But I'll tell you what happens in a church out here in the middle of the country, seemingly without any prospects of huge growth, that a lot of preachers, all they want to use churches like this for is a stepping stone to get to something bigger. Hey, there is nothing bigger than Antioch East Baptist Church. It is God's church. It is God's church. We study and preach the same word. We obey the same gospel. We sing the same songs of Zion. The old song says, In the harvest field now ripen, there's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling. Are you listening? To the harvest. He's calling you. Does the place you're called to labor seem too small and little known? Well, I want you to know it's great if God is in it, and he won't forget his own. When the conflict here is ended, and our race on earth is run, he will say to all his children, welcome home, my child, well done. Little is much when God is in it, labor fame there's a crown and you can win it if 